There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stew Pod, the Yahoo Sports Baseball Podcast. I am Mike Oz. And I am Chris Wick. Taking a break from my lovely inbox, Chris, full of angry Royals fans. Still, I thought, no. I thought they'd be Come happy on. by now. Huh? I said, come on. Oh. I think he said a bad word there for a second. I was like, oh, hey. No. They, they've Those called me lots of bad words, though. The Royals fans. Come on. Yeah. Um, and still still mad. Just just not get, not get enough credit everywhere. Like, Mike Trout doesn't deserve the, beat the MVP. Uh, Royals aren't getting enough credit. And I don't know if it's if it's just my Twitter, but I've noticed a couple butthurt Twins fans over the Dozier thing too. I don't know if you're getting any of that. No, maybe that's just that Midwest life you got, Chris. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll get the angry twin twins emails now. So, <laughs> uh, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the the All Star game later, but um, I, I will tell you, I'm very excited to. Uh, do something a little bit different on the show this week. We have Jonathan Knight joining us, who is not the guy from New Kids on the Block. He's actually a sports writer and author, and he wrote a book about Major League, so we're going to talk to him in just a few minutes. I know, Chris, you got some other topics that we're uh, going to be talking about today. Uh, that's right. So after we talk to Jonathan, we're going to be we're going to briefly talk a little bit about um, other baseball movies we enjoy, kind of have a debate about that. We have to talk about the All-Star Game a little bit, our, our likes and dislikes, you know, what we saw during the contest. And then the trade deadline's going to be coming up pretty soon, so we're going to take a little bit of a dive into that. And then as usual, uh, you know, Mike, I know you have the, the famous important questions. Yes. Favorite part of the show. So everybody stick around for important questions and everything else we got, because it's going to be a good show. Cleveland City of Light, you're calling me. This is the Stew Pod, Mike Oz and Chris Swick on the Yahoo Sports Baseball Podcast. And uh, we're doing something a little bit different this week since it's All-Star Week and uh, just kind of came through the, the busyness of, of All-Star Break. Um, we're talking all about everybody's favorite baseball movie, or what should be your favorite baseball movie, Major League. And uh, we have... Sports writer and author Jonathan Knight joining us. He just uh, recently put out a book called The Making of Major League, a bunch of behind-the-scenes stories about the movie. Um, I've I've begun the book. I haven't got all the way through, but Jonathan, uh, I have to applaud you for for devoting this much time and energy to telling us the backstory of Major League. Oh, sure, yeah. This is this is a story that, believe it or not, like you said, a lot of people are, are interested in, love this movie, so it was a, sort of a natural story to tell. I, I've I've done a little bit of writing about kind of behind the scenes stuff on Major League last year when when they had the 25th anniversary, but you've gone kind of far and beyond any of this. And I guess my question is, um, how, how did an, sort of having an interest in Major League actually turn into I'm going to write a book about this? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, uh, you know, like a lot of people, yourself included, I'm sure that uh, big fan of the movie. Since it first came out, it was, it was the, for me, it was the perfect movie at the perfect time. Uh, 12 when it came out, I was just starting to get into the sports and baseball in particular. And this really kind of really made it fun in a way that I'd never really seen it before. So it was, it was fun in that sense. And, and uh, obviously over the years, talking with more people and, and realizing how this movie 
affected a lot of other people the same way and 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 seeing what kind of impact it had not just in in Cleveland obviously or in northeast Ohio with Indians fans how much of an impact but even outside of that how people who weren't Indians fans really loved this movie so just all these little things along the way sort of telling wow this is this is pretty cool this is pretty there's something unique going on here and then certainly in Cleveland it, it's something else again and being having family from there and having been a Cleveland uh, follower of Cleveland sports for years, knowing how much this movie meant and in some ways seeing how it became sort of a real-life experience. You can sort of see the team in the movie as, as a real team and acknowledge it as such. So at some point just kind of realize, hey, there's there's an interesting story here to, to not only explain how this movie got made and how it saw the light of day, but but how it created this legacy. How did that, how did that come to be? So I really kind of wanted to see what those answers were and, and tell that story. See now, Jonathan, I was going to ask why Major League? Why was this the movie? But you I feel like you answered that already. I mean, watching it from a young age, but also it seems like you, you hinted at being a, a Cleveland fan or growing up in the area. Is that the case? Yeah, and, and really, like I said, it was being the perfect movie at the perfect time. And, and in that, what I mean by that really is not only did it sort of make baseball fun and, and show me lots of things to like about baseball, but just in terms of sort of pushing me into the arms of the Indians. I was, I, I'd grown up in, in Dayton, Ohio, which is Cincinnati Reds territory, but my entire family was from Cleveland. My dad was an Indians fan, had grown up an Indians fan, so I sort of felt an obligation to be an Indians fan, um, even though it was, you know, this is pre-internet and, and pre-widespread cable broadcasts of, 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 of games. So it was very hard to, to follow an out-of-town team in that era. So as much as I kind of wanted to or felt obligated to follow the Indians, it was much easier and, and to follow the Reds. So there were a couple of years there where I kind of walked that line of kind of following both, and I was reaching sort of a moral crossroads in my life where I was going to have to pick one or the other, and make sure he comes out right at that moment, and I became an Indians fan. So I don't know whether to thank the movie for that or blame the movie for that. <laughs> was it tough when you set out to do this to – get access or were people um, just ready to, to let you in and tell you everything about major league? Well, once I, once I did kind of get through that initial threshold, uh, it, it was far easier than I thought. It was just a matter of, of getting that first domino to tip over. And that was sort of uh, mission one was, was to get in touch with David Ward, who, who was the writer and director of the movie. And, and it, it took me quite a while to, to, to finally get in touch with him and, and, and get to know him and, and, and sort of clear that channel. Um, and luckily for me, you know, he was incredibly enthusiastic and incredibly receptive to the idea. And, and once I had him on board and, and started working with him, then the other doors started to open from there. And everyone was very receptive. I mean, there were still sort of gatekeepers that you had to go through, of course, with, with all of these people, many of whom are, are still very busy and very successful in, in Hollywood. So there were a lot of um, sort of hurdles to overcome there. But but not nearly as much as I thought or not nearly as bad as I thought. Everyone was genuinely excited about doing this, and everyone wanted to talk. Everyone just has this big soft spot in their heart for this movie. So then I, what was the process like? Because it sounds like Ward was kind of the key, and then once he decides he's kind of on board, where are you going next? Are you able to try and reach out to some of the actors at that point, or are you furiously doing research? Does that happen all before you initially contact Ward? What, what's kind of the timeline there? It, it 
it was a very nonlinear timeline, which made it very different from some of the other projects I've worked on. Usually, I you know start at the beginning and, and sort of put out a schedule, put out a plan of what I plan on doing, and, and then proceed and 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 do it very linearly. In this case, it was not, uh, it, which worked out fine, and there were benefits to it, I suppose. But um, this was a, it was mostly a matter of a lot of hurry up and wait. There was a lot of instances where it's like okay. Once even once I had David on board, then it's I can I started getting contact information and and being able to talk to certain people, but it wasn't like I could talk to them tomorrow. <laughs> it may have taken a while, and, and in some cases it took a few months to to line up schedules and and be able to talk to, to certain people. So I would do in between these little pockets. I would do research. I would do as much writing as I could. So it's sort of like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, a really big one. You sort of do this little section that you don't have any idea where it fits in the big picture. You just know it's a tree. And you don't even have corners yet. You don't know how big it is. You just have this little tree. And then at some point, a year later, you're able to take that little block of a tree and, and put it in the big picture. And, oh, now I see where it is. And it starts to fill in from there. So it was it was a little abstract. It was a little different. Uh, but overall, I, I think it, it really worked. It kind of helped that it did. It forced me to take some time and, and spend more time researching and and uh, interviewing people that, that I may not have had things really come together much more quickly than it did. So let's get to some fun stuff. Um, as a fan of the movie, as you're going through this process, what was what were the things that when you learned them, you were like, oh my God, like I have to, <laughs> like I'm so excited to learn this. I wish I could just tell the world right now. Like what blew your mind? Wow, there, there were several of them. Um, I think one of the, one of the first ones that, that really kind of, really got me excited was the fact that one of the questions I had from the time that it came out was, why was it the Indians? Why did they pick the Indians? And, and of course, I knew that David Ward had grown up in Cleveland. He was an Indians fan, so I kind of figured that was the idea, that he just liked that team and threw it in. But I, I never really, I never realized until talking with him that it, it had to be the Indians, that, that the fact that it was the Indians was was built into the entire experience. He didn't write a script for a movie that could be interchangeable parts, like like many sports movies that you see both then and now, when you do have a, a, a real-life team in there, it, it, it's maybe interchangeable, like Draft Day, for example, the, the movie that came out last year with Kevin Costner and the Browns. It could have been any team, really. It could have been any team that had been struggling. Um, but it, in this case, it had to be the Indians. And, and if you think about it in the script, and I think that's part of the reason why it has endured and, and is so beloved in Cleveland, is that it really is about Cleveland. Like, you couldn't just throw the Red Sox in there. You couldn't just throw the Cubs yeah. in there. Like, it just wouldn't work. There, it, in, and it's just built into the DNA of the script. So that was really kind of revealing to find that out. And and also, I think, even just on a general sense, from some of the story points, I, I kind of figured that some of the characters were, uh, were, were based on real-life templates, and, and you see little little bits of actual big league players from the past and even from the, from the 1980s in some of these characters. But, but even some of the, some of the plot points and some of the, some of the subplots and storylines that are in the movie are sort of based on real events. The, the whole idea of an owner wanting her team to tank to enable to move her to be able to move it um, is more or less based on a, on a very bizarre situation that was going on in Minnesota right around the time that David Ward was writing the script, that, that it appeared, it turned out not to be the case, but it appeared that the owner of the team had, had was taking advantage of this suspiciously specific clause in the contract with the Metrodome that if the attendance was down 
or below a certain point that you could move the team, and then they fielded the worst team that they had in Minnesota uh, just in time for them to take advantage of this clause. So David Ward recognizing that and a few other things through there that and, and turning them into key plot points and key little parts of the story was just, wow, that's really cool. And again, I think that, that realism and that sort of genuineness about the, the story and the details and the character are, are other reasons why it has endured so well. Yeah, Jonathan, I don't want to take you too far off the book, but you'd kind of mentioned the the realism behind you know the script and all that. Uh, I'm wondering how accurately it captured being a fan of of the Indians at that time or around that period, because I just I I remember the the kind of opening scene where everyone talks about how bad the Indians are going to be, and I feel like Cleveland just kind of has that reputation now where. We look at their sports teams, and everybody's like, "Oh, Cleveland is awful." <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny that you don't. I had always kind of translated that sort of long suffering mentality that you see among Indian fans in the movie across the board to to apply to all Cleveland sports fans the way you would now. But but really, if you look at the movie, there's no mention of of any of other uh, other Cleveland teams or the long-suffering Cleveland fans, which is it's kind of ironic that it still works because nobody, you know, the Cleveland teams, is, all of them across the board, have managed to still not provide any championships in the 26 years in between. But, yeah, it, it, it's kind of strange that that, that that detail has still endured. It's not just the Indians that are long-suffering, it's everybody. So you really could, at this point, you could almost have the – the bleacher fans that you see in Major League, you could drop them into into the dog pound and have them saying the same lines. It's basically the same experience. I, I want to talk a little bit about the the baseball stuff because um, I, I know that you know anytime you make a sports movie, there's a little bit of um, I, I I don't want to say trickery, but um, you know you're you're having to to do some some stuff to make the audience believe that. You know these people are really athletes, and um, what did what did you learn about the actual baseball that was played in the movie that that people may not know? You know, if if they've only just watched the movie and hadn't really read anything about the background of it. Yeah, no, and that's another thing. Going back to your previous question, that that sort of surprised me is that really, if you look at Major League, and I never really paid attention to it until. Uh, really starting the book and thinking about it, is if you compare Major League to uh, most other baseball movies, certainly at the time, and, and sports movies in general, the baseball that you see is pretty good. I mean, there are very few baseball movies, particularly before this and immediately after, in which the, the baseball aspect and the actors playing baseball looks as good as it does in Major League. Um, and that was something, again, that that realism that David Ward was going for, he was very cognizant of that and really, really wanted to make sure that this script or the story wasn't undermined by, by a lousy-looking performance on the field, not acting-wise, but baseball-wise. And so they made a real effort and brought in Steve Yeager, the former Dodgers catcher, as a technical advisor. Basically, he was the coach. He was the, the coach of the actors and put everybody through their paces and and kind of tune them up. And it was something they were very conscious of uh, during casting, that they, they really did want guys who had at least some some experience playing baseball. And, and for the most part, they did. Really, the entire cast, except for Wesley Snipes, had, had played at some level of organized baseball at some point. And, 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 and that shows. I mean, very few of them look like they 
really are major league players, but there's enough there that you can buy it. And, and with Steve Yeager working with them and sort of putting the polish on things, and then some of that trickery where Yeager himself was a stand-in for Tom Berenger quite a bit, and they'd do some things with camera angles and slow motion to make Willie, to make Willie Mays Hayes look faster than he really was, and so on and so forth. There were some little tricks like that that they were able to pull off. But in general, they really didn't have to. There was enough of genuine athleticism there that it does pay off. And you're not taken out of the movie. When you see Charlie Sheen throwing a fastball 99 miles an hour, you buy it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's plausible enough that you buy it as opposed to Tim Robbins in Bull Durham, who, you know, he's great. It's a great movie and it's a great performance. But, yeah, I don't buy him as, as a phenomenal young pitcher. Well, yeah, I was I was just going to ask because I feel like with most of these movies, you always kind of hear the stories about so and so was actually pretty athletic, or you know, this guy we we really needed to kind of edit around some of his uh, athletic feats. I'm wondering if you have any stories about maybe some of the better actors slash athletes uh, on the major league set. Sure, the the the. Obviously, the top of the list, I think you got to start with Charlie Sheen. I mean, the, the legend has grown a little bit. <laughs> he had played in high school, had been very good, um, and it, it said, basically had been received some offers to play in college and, and chose another career path, obviously, but, but had enough talent that when he read the script, he not only loved the character, but he knew that he could he could pull this off. He had enough uh, enough baseball talent that he could he could make this work. And basically told David Ward, "I was born to play this role in more ways than one," as it turned out. But Charlie Sheen is sort of at the top of the list. I think of all of the of the baseball you see, his is the most genuine, and you see like, "Wow, yeah, that looks that looks pretty real." Um, there are a few little things that that do stand out. Tom Berenger had a little bit of a throwing awkward or awkward throwing motion as as catcher and. Which is problematic because you're 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 showing him as this seasoned former All Star catcher and being able to to throw bullets to second base or whatever you you, you need that to be believable. It helps not just with with Berenger and the Jake Taylor character, but across the board that these are not that they're not supposed to be talented players, particularly at the beginning of the movie. That they're they are they are bad. There's a reason why they're there. So it, it it does help that little bridge that gap a little bit and say, well, yeah, there's a reason why they don't look like superstars because they're not superstars that's that's kind of the, the charm of it um so even down through the list chelsea ross who played eddie harris um he he was the oldest of the of the cast of players and he looks you know a little stiff and awkward but that was kind of his thing he was an old veteran uh junk ball type pitcher sort of like a phil micro or a gaylord perry one of those type guys so you buy it and, that, and it works for that character wesley snipes as i said before he was the one who really didn't have any experience playing baseball he was a great athlete and had studied dance and, and fencing and martial arts and that sort of thing as he as he was trained in, in school so he there was enough natural talent there that he was able to pick it up very quickly and like in the scene where he's having to pop up pitch after pitch after pitch he just learned how to do that in about two days um so yeah so there's 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 all kinds of things that work for the movie in the casting and the coaching that, that sort of covered up some of the, some of the blemishes that, that may have been a problem had they not been so conscientious of it. My, uh, my favorite character in major league and not even a human is Joe Boo. <laughs> I, think that, I think that you can't, you can't have major league without Joe Boo. I mean, it, it's just no. sort of a, a big part of it. Um, so I'm curious. Wait, Mike, Mike, I want to step on your toes real fast and say, I am a big fan of Eddie Harris. <laughs> 
He just, I don't know, every time he's on <laughs> you would screen, be, Chris. he makes me you laugh, would be. man. You would be. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm wondering what you can tell us about about Jobu and, and um, you know, what, what kind of behind the scenes or, or secrets there, there might be about him. Yeah, Joe Boo, it's interesting, and and David Warren, I think, was as surprised as anybody when Joe Boo has become basically this Yoda-like character that that people just embrace now. I mean, it's amazing. There there are bottleheads of Joe Boo that we're we're giving away at parks now. I mean, it's amazing how popular this little... You're right. I don't know whether to call him a character or a prop. What is he? I don't know exactly what he is. And it's 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 just hilarious that that's, that caught on the way it did. And, you know, the origins of the whole idea of Joe Boo, the book goes into it, uh, basically is he's not really, you know, in Serrano practicing voodoo. This isn't really voodoo, at least in the sense that we know voodoo. I mean, voodoo, you think of sticking pins in things or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom type of stuff. I mean, that's not what this is. It's very different than that. So Joe Boo has just becomes this little iconic, powerful little, I don't know what you would call it, good luck charm, bad luck charm, I don't know what you would call him, but he's, he, he certainly does feel like a character. He's always there, and, and it just brings so much color and so much vibrancy to the Pedro Serrano character that it's hard to imagine uh, Serrano for as great as Dennis Haysbert is in that movie. It's a lot of that is based on this tiny little clay figurine, which, you know, designed by the prop department, there wasn't any real description in the script of what it was going to look like. They just kind of said, well, how about this? Okay, good, let's go with it, you know? And, and Joe Boo was born, and Joe Boo became, you're right, but one of the most popular, one of the most unforgettable parts of, of the entire movie, and appeared in both sequels, believe it or not. Yeah, I feel like Joe Boo might be maybe the most iconic thing to come out of the movie, but there's still just... So many, I can just think of so many great lines, and obviously the whole wild thing character. And you know, this is a movie that's really endured the the test of time, or has kind of lived on. It's just there's so many things that are memorable and iconic. And I'm wondering, you know, if David Ward expected anything close to this when he set out to to write this movie, because I mean, look at it now; it's just huge still. Yeah. I mean, maybe more popular now than it was in 1989 when it came out, or 1990 when it's on video. I mean, it's amazing the endurance of this movie, because you don't see that, especially with comedies. I mean, there's always the classic comedies you remember from the 80s, but for every one of those, there's probably 20 or 30 that are just completely forgotten within a couple of months after they come out. They come and go so quickly, and, and even the ones that you may have liked when they came out, you watch them again 20 years later, and they're just not quite as funny. They just don't quite work as well, and that's obviously not the case with Major League. And David Ward certainly didn't have any idea that this would be this cult classic. I think he just he was trying to make a successful movie, and and it was it was a you know fairly successful movie at the box office. And you know he when these things started to happen, when when guys on Sports Center would rattle off Harry Doyle lines during highlights, or you started seeing people repeating things just a bit outside at, at the ballpark, and you, you think, oh, okay, that's kind of cool, but that'll within a couple months they'll forget about it, it'll blend in, and now it's, my goodness, you see this now more than ever. I mean, it's people who haven't even seen the movie Major League are going to recognize lines from that movie. It's really something else. So he was at, at the most surprised of anyone that this thing caught on, and really took on a life of its own. And yeah, we're sitting here 26 years later and, and this movie is just as popular as it was the day it came out. Jonathan, I was, you know, like I said, I've, I've done some 
I've done some writing about Major League, and I've I've talked to some people. I've talked to David Ward. I've talked to some actors, and I I think the the one thing he told me was like, you're not gonna be able to talk to Charlie Sheen. Like it's not it's not gonna happen. <laughs> so I I know you got Charlie Sheen to write the foreword for the book, and I was like, man, okay, this guy this is legit. So how did how did how did the Charlie Sheenness of your book happen? Oh, it happened with a lot of patience is how that happened. And I totally understand. Yeah, I, that was, I, and I never, to preface that, I, I never thought I'd get to talk to Charlie. I mean, just knowing that this is, keep in mind, this is right after the two and a half men debacle. This is, he, he had just started anger management, so his schedule was just completely bonkers. And I, yeah, there's, I'll talk to, maybe I'll talk to some of them, but Charlie's just, that's, that's pie in the sky. I don't know that I'll ever get to him. And it, and but luckily, and I think that, that it was Major League, because he has such a love for Major League. And he says in the book, this is his favorite movie. Of everything he's ever done, and he's done some great things, from Platoon to Wall Street, and, and he's been on television. This is his favorite movie. This is his favorite movie. This is his favorite role. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Everything that he's done, that, that this is still his favorite. So and that helped, and, and having that, that he, he just loves talking about it, whether <laughs> no matter what the circumstance, he'll, he'll drop everything and talk about Major League. So um, that helped, and, and just being able to, to be patient. It took, from the time I, I started to get in touch with him to the time that I actually talked to him, it was probably about eight months and I'd been scheduled to talk to him probably 10 or 12 times before it actually <laughs> happened, and it just would be rescheduled at the last minute and then rescheduled again, and then he would have changed personal assistance at that point, so I'm now working on my third guy. So it just is a matter of starting over and starting over and starting over. And and the one thing that kind of kept me going was that I, I would hear that it, you know it'll take you a long time to get him, but if and when you get him, He'll be great, and he he just he loves talking about the movie. You won't be able to get him to stop talking, and that's basically exactly what happened. And led to a great couple of interviews, and and he wrote the forward to the book, and and actually when when the book came out, and I sent him a copy, he actually called me, and, and we talked for another hour. He just loved the book, and he was so happy with it, and and so proud to be a part of it. That's what just blew my mind. He was so honored to be a part of the book. He was honored to be asked to write the forward. He's he's honored to be part of the movie and be part of this experience. It's pretty amazing. I, I'd like to maybe wrap up here on, on one last thing. Um, and I guess this, this maybe can be the Cliff Notes version for anybody. But I, I'm wondering if you could tell us, pick like five things, and, and short answer here, five things that your average person who's seen Major League doesn't know about the movie and um, that the kind of things they'll learn in the book. Wow. Let's see. Um, well, one of the things that, that, is, that surprised even me, I think, and, and probably even after the movie came out, was, was how people in Cleveland um, are really kind of missed that it wasn't filmed in Cleveland. And it, I think I, most Cleveland people, and including myself, knew that it was not, even at the time, that it was not filmed in Cleveland and never really wondered why or just assumed that it didn't work. But in Cleveland, it's kind of a touchy subject. Even though people love the movie, they're still like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't filmed here. And there's just kind of that little a little taking offense to it and there was just no way it could have and the book goes into it for the, all the reasons why but but that was kind of interesting I, I had no idea about that um filmed in milwaukee it, by the it, way for anybody who doesn't know yeah filmed in milwaukee correct and, and county stadium which which is a pretty good facsimile for cleveland stadium at the time um another thing that i never really never really realized or at least paid attention to um until the book was that it really did, for, for as difficult as it was to, to get made, and, and for as few baseball movies as were coming out in this era, Major League and its, and its 
modest success at the time, combined with Field of Dreams and, and uh, Bull Durham coming out within the same calendar year, really led to a creation of a baseball genre and sort of launched a kick-started a, a nice little era in, in baseball movies. If you look over the next five years, there were a lot of great baseball movies that came out, and you really have to look at the success of, of Major League and Field of Dreams and Bull Durham coming out flat-bang all together like that, and that sort of greenlit a league of their own, and and uh, several of the other movies that they came out after that. So okay, that's yeah. kind of a nice little legacy. Yeah, there are lots of lots of fun movies that came, and then plus a lot of movies that that maybe weren't so great, but followed the major league template, like Little Big League or Rookie of the Year, or even Mighty Ducks, Necessary Roughness, that really are just major league with a different sport or a different twist. So that's again some of that legacy type of stuff that that you see. Um, uh, let's do, let's, another let's one pick would one be. More. We'll, we'll end there. Pick one more. One more. Okay. Um, I guess the other one that, that jumps out was the, the 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 song at the very beginning of the movie, the the burn on song that Randy Newman sings about the the Cuyahoga River catching on fire, which which people love, even though it's sort of it's tongue in cheek making fun of Cleveland and the river catching on fire. It fits that movie so perfectly that that you can't. And I had never really thought about it, but. It, it always just felt like that song was written for the movie. It just fit so perfectly. It fit the tone. It, it just fit the it fit the opening sequence. And of course, the movie the song was not written for the movie. It had, it had been around for about seventeen years prior to that. Randy Newman had been a pretty fairly well known name as a singer songwriter for years. Uh, but that was the that was the hardest song for them to get for the movie. It turned out to be the most expensive song, more expensive than the Wild Thing cover, more expensive than any other song they used in the movie because Randy Newman knew it was basically the only song ever written about the city of Cleveland that they really needed. It. So he kind of had him over a barrel. Nice. That that that's pretty good. I, I I didn't know that one, so that's that's good. I hope hope all of you people listening learned some stuff about Major League today and and. If nothing else, you will probably want to go watch the movie and want to go read the book. It's called uh, The Making of Major League, a just a bit inside look at the classic baseball comedy. And Jonathan Knight is our guest. Thank you, Jonathan, for being here. And I guess uh, I, I know it's available on Amazon. Um, anywhere else that, that people should be looking out for it? Uh, they can get it at Barnes & Noble, either in stores or, or online, um, and they can also order it off of MajorLeagueBook.com. There's some excerpts there. You can order it off that website as well. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for the plug, and thank you for joining us and, and indulging us today in some in, in our many Major League questions. We appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Cleveland City of Light, you're calling me. Back on the StuPod, and uh, Chris... I think it was an enlightening conversation with, with Jonathan there about Major League. Uh, very happy to hear some more about one of my favorite baseball movies. Actually, my favorite baseball movie. Is, is it your favorite baseball movie? Is it's that mine your? too. Okay. Yay. Well, I guess we, we can't argue that. So I'll ask you this. What is, what is your second favorite baseball movie? Uh, I'm a big fan of A League of Their Own. I don't know that it's my second favorite, but it's one of those movies that every time it's on TV, I'll watch it for whatever reason. And I I couldn't really tell you why. Just really enjoyable. Tom Hanks is great. The story is great. I love it. What What about you? Would you you gonna agree with me again? No, no. I I you know I don't even think I may not have ever seen League of Their Own all the way through. I've seen parts. Come on. Of it. I know. I I I I do want to say that I don't think Rookie of the Year is as bad as some people make it out to be. Jonathan kind of dissed. Rookie yeah, he of the did year. a little bit. 
And I, you know, I, rookie of the year is not my second favorite, but I gotta say, rookie of the rookie of the year is cool, man. You know, who doesn't like who doesn't like a little kid that throws like Earl's Chapman? Come on. <laughs> but uh, I, I gotta pick the Sandlot, man. Sandlot is, is oh, of course, is a wonderful one. Um, I think also because it appeals to like the little kid in us, probably more so than than a lot of these other movies that you know. I mean, they appeal to us as baseball fans in a different way, but. To me, it, it's it's the Sandlot. I mean, I think Major League is far and away my favorite, but um, the Sandlot is, I would say, among my other favorite movies too. Just just in general, not baseball movies, but it's another of my my favorite movies. I mean, I'm one of those people that'll say like Major League is one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I'm not even gonna try to lie right. about that. Like, like I'm not gonna sit here and try to hit you with some artsy fancy movies or whatever. My favorite movies of all time are like <laughs> Ferris Bueller, Major League. Uh, Mall rats. I mean, that, that's how I roll, man. Tommy boy over here. <laughs> I love that movie, man. I'm not. I'm not. Um, gonna try, I'm not going to try to tell you that. Uh, you know, there's some some crazy like foreign movies. My favorite movie of all time. Nope. What about movies like Field of Dreams, Bull Durham? Are those up there for you? I see. I think Field of Dreams is super overrated, man. I just. I mean, it's nice, but like, it doesn't have much of like the replay factor to me like once i've seen field of dreams i don't i don't know that i ever really wanted to watch field of dreams again like if field of dreams is on tv i'm like yeah i, I know what happens in that movie i don't care wow Harsh, Whereas, man. major league man i could watch jobu every single time and, and jobu is still <laughs> so but boulderum's enjoyable i like boulder yeah, i put that up there i like little big league i don't have a problem with little big league i know some people don't like it but it's, it's all right um i don't know if i can like that one the white Sox or the evil team Twins are twins fans against, are gonna be mad at you again. That, that, goes that, against that. everything I've ever learned from Hawk Harrelson. <laughs> all right, the good let's, guys. Let, let's talk the, real baseball. Um, all right, the All Star Game is is of course past us. We, uh, I think we're I think we're back to normal. I don't know. We did we had a couple days of not a lot of sleep in there, but it was you know entertaining. Lots of stuff happened in baseball, uh, so lots of stuff to draw from on this next question. Give me one thing you loved and one thing you didn't love about the All Star Game. All right, one thing I loved, got to be Jacob deGrom. Uh, I feel like everyone kind of acknowledges that he's a pretty good player, but he's stuck on the Mets where Matt Harvey is really the the star of that rotation. And I don't know if that's really the case anymore. I mean, Jacob deGrom has been really exceptional this year. He's at least on the same level as Harvey, if not better. Uh, during the All-Star game, I think he threw 10 pitches, three strikeouts, so... Kind of a nice coming out party on a national level. I feel like people can finally appreciate what he can do. Uh, something I didn't like, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I never felt like the National League was all that close. I mean, the American League, Mike Trout had that home run early, and then to me, I don't know, it just never felt, I never felt threatened by, by that lead shrinking. So um, for whatever reason, that, that's what I disliked about the game. All right, yeah, I mean, I'll agree with you. It seemed like it was pretty, by the fifth or sixth inning, like, yeah, this is this is done. We yeah. know what's up. Um, well, yeah, and, and the AL bullpen, you knew that it was going to be dominant. Yeah. I I liked, uh, I was going to say Mike Trout, but I don't know. Everybody's going to say Mike Trout. I like Prince Fielder, man. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Prince Fielder yeah. comeback story. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, he was always kind of, somebody that got picked on a little unjustly by people 
uh, probably, you know, for his, for his body style and his physique. And, you know, I always liked that he, he was never hurt and he always played. And then last year he got hurt and then all the people just kind of came at him again. And, and this year he didn't even really get much, you know, I don't think a lot of people were banking on much from Prince Fielder and, and he's been great for the Rangers. Uh, did really well in the all-star game, didn't win the MVP, but you know, you can make a case that, that he, uh, should have, um, I mean, Trout was a good pick, but you know, Prince was, Prince was out there. So I'm I'm a fan of that man. I like to I like to see I like to see that the, the comeback and and that's probably a little bit of like all shucks of me, but yeah. Um, you know I did not like though, and I I don't know if they're if we can call them Mike Trout truthers, but I don't like the people <laughs> who still want to act like like Mike Trout isn't good. You know I got an email today yeah, yeah. that said Mike Trout sucks ass, and I'm like, like who are you people? Like how do how are you at this point? thinking that Mike Trout is not a good baseball player. I understand there was a time where Mike Trout was kind of like the, the face of the analytics and, and advanced stats and people who didn't like that stuff didn't like Mike Trout because it like scared them, you know, like I don't understand this. So it's bad. Right. Mike Trout's bad. Oh, I'm going to run away now. And in 2013, maybe, but in 2015, like if you're still watching baseball and you still think that Mike Trout isn't good, I just don't even know. I don't even know what's wrong with you. Yeah. Like pack it well, up I, and start over. I, I should add two things uh, I like that we didn't mention. I just feel like Earl Chapman needs to get mentioned because, man, that guy is, he is must watch right now. Every time he gets in the game, he, he just makes guys look silly. And it's and, great against uh, American League players who don't see him. You know, that, that's what yeah. makes it fun. <laughs> and just on a personal note, I'm glad that uh, the fans cheered Bryce Harper. I feel like that hasn't happened the last two, the last two years he's been at the All Star Game. So I feel like people have kind of taken notice now that he's having this huge year. Yeah, it sucked that he didn't get a hit though. Still doesn't have a hit in the All Star Game. That Bryce Harper. Maybe next year. Oh. Maybe he's waiting till the till the All Star Game is in DC, and then he's just gonna like go four for four with like four homers. Well, he said that's that's the next time he's doing the home run derby, is what he said. So. Well, I guess we could take back all the good things we said about the Derby, man. Let's just cancel it till 2018. <laughs> we don't need it. No. We need Der- Bryce Harper. Derby was good, though. I like the Derby. Yeah, same here. I won't make you issue your public apology. We'll just, we'll just acknowledge that you were wrong, and that's it. I did. And, and I, I already publicly apologized. <laughs> you can find it online. I won't make you do it on the podcast. No. So, all right, with uh, we got a couple weeks until the trade deadline. Figure... It would probably be a good idea to dive into that a little bit. So, uh, Mike, can you think of one player and one team that's just a, a perfect fit right now? It's like the, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of the trade deadline. I do like some Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Who doesn't? Um, so I, I, I'm looking at the Astros as a team. You know, We've been talking about them all year, obviously. Um, I, think, I think they're a team that, that comes out of the All-Star break needing a boost. You know, They fell out of first place. And... Uh, I, th- I think they need that starting pitcher. Uh, you know, we've heard them linked to some of the bigger names like Cueto and Hamels, and and I think I saw a story that said Cueto is like, you know, one of their top targets, um, and and great. But you know, I, I think they're going to have to pay a lot to get him. I think going out and getting somebody like Scott Casimir would be would be a really good move for the Astros. I think it would give them a boost. I think that you know the A's are a team that that like to make deals. I feel like the A's and the Astros kind of like match up in that sense where the, the A's will, you know, take your young talent and, and they will be great in four years. And you'll be like, Oh man, I, I didn't ever knew that guy was on the Astros. And 
you know, then Billy Bean's going to trade him, and, and it just works in, like, a narrative <laughs> kind of sense. So I think the Astros and the A's, you know, like, link up well. They've made trades in the in the past, so we don't got to worry about them being a, in the same division and not dealing with each other. And I think Scott Casimir would, would definitely help the Astros. I like Casimir as a, a little bit of an underrated guy, yeah. this, this deadline, because, you know, the drop-off between him and the big guys are not that much, and you feel like you could probably give up a lot less for Casimir. And I think if anyway. we, if, I think if the Astros go out and get like Cueto or Hamels or something, then then we kind of have to reevaluate our our look at like sort of the, you know, scrappy like low budget <laughs> Astros. You know, I, I think Casimir gives them they can still kind of ma- maintain their their underdogness if they get him. All right. Well, I'm going to do one that I feel like has been pretty obvious since spring training, but it's Cole Hamels to the Red Sox. I mean, just make it happen at this point. The Red Sox are, I think, only they're only a couple games out of first place despite having a pretty poor record, and that rotation's awful. Cole Hamels is not awful and would easily lead that rotation. So I just feel like that this has to happen. And we know the Red Sox have the prospects to get it done, too. That's the thing. So, come on, what are you waiting for? Yeah, and it makes sense long-term for them, too. I mean, you know, they're going to need... They're going to need Cole Hamels next year, too. So even if they right. don't make they, the playoffs this year, I, I think it makes sense. And they can support the contract. I mean, it, the whole thing makes sense to me. My runner-up on this, by the way, was Aroldis Chapman to the Blue Jays. See, I just don't get the sense that Chapman's going to be dealt, but, man, he is dominant. I, I can't. I still can't get over the All-Star appearance. I just want to see Aroldis Chapman and, like, Josh Donaldson, like, buddying up together. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> Well, this Chapman to the Nats would be good, too. The Nats could could use another bullpen piece. Oh, yeah, that could be good. That could be good. Well, I'm sure there are very many of these, and, and we can we can keep talking about them some more. Um, I'm sure we weeks. will. Well, should we do important questions? Let's do it. All right, I'm going to start. I think you have, you have one, too, right? So I'll, I I'll do. Start I'm going to drop one can, on you. You can, you can go. Um Barry Bonds took a took a selfie with Sleeping Willie Mays, which I thought was a little bit morbid. Um, people on Facebook hate me for, for <laughs> saying this, by the way. Don't go to my Facebook page and, and look at look at the comments on this. Jeez. Um, but you know, Willie Mays like almost looked dead. I'm like, holy, holy crap, is Willie Mays dead? And he wasn't. I mean, he, you know, he's just sleeping. But uh, that's not really the point here, Chris. If you could take a selfie with one sleeping baseball legend. Who would it be? I think I want to do it Inception style. So I would choose Barry Bonds, but then I would hope that Willie Mays is also sleeping in the picture. <laughs> so like I just I want to add to the chain at this point. So you would just keep keep growing the the legend, okay? I think so. I would choose Bonds and then just kind of hope to get Mays as a package deal in there. <laughs> um. You know, I actually don't have an answer prepared for this one. Usually when I ask you the questions, I've already thought of who my answer would be. Um, shoot, I don't know, man. Maybe Wade Boggs. That'd be funny, right? Wade Boggs. Wade Boggs. Let's go with Wade Boggs. That'd be good, yeah. Yeah, why not, man? My grandma really liked Wade Boggs, so shout out to grandma. There you go. Uh, do you want to do your second one, or do you want me to do mine now? How 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 much of a bomb is yours? Uh, I feel like mine's gonna take a little thinking on your part, so why don't you go? Why don't you go again? I, I neglected to ask this one last week, 
and so I want to know from your opinion as a American man who mm-hmm. has a wife, um, yep. how scared should I be by the fact that my wife thinks Bryce Harper's hot? Oh, mine does too. I, I've just gotten over it at this point. We were we actually were talking about the body issue this morning before she left for work, and uh, part of me is like. Uh, I wish she hadn't seen the body issue photos. And then the other part of me is like, I mean, if Bryce Harper came in here and was like, I'm taking your wife, there's nothing I could do about it. So I hope that never happens, basically. You'd be like, hey, let me come too. <laughs> Take me with you. What do you need, Stepdaddy yeah, Bryce? <laughs> Want to have a catch? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not terribly worried, but um, I, I don't think he's going to come to my house and steal my girl. Unless he just goes on an off-season off like girl-stealing mission. But I right. feel like that's something Gronk would do and not necessarily Bryce Harper. I think Bryce that's Harper a, would just hang in Vegas and let the girls come to him. That's a great point. Yeah. Gronk's the guy you have to worry about. <laughs> Alright. All right. I'm, 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 I'm worried to see what you got here, Chris. Here we go. So for the All-Star game, we saw the franchise four from each team. The four uh, best players ever play for your franchise. So, my guys, what is your franchise four of food items? Four foods, Ooh, franchise that's, four. That's what are good. They? We we could have built a whole podcast around this, Chris. I know, I know. We might have to do it. But we no, it's like an important a, um, question. You're, you're doing it fast, man. Oh, okay. Uh, you got to go on instinct. Oh, pizza, tacos. Um, do you, do you have to? Uh, Like how how am I doing this? Am I determining types of food, specific items? Like, can I just say barbecue, or do I have to pick like a specific? Oh no, you definitely can't just say barbecue. Okay. <laughs> um. Ooh, uh, that's a tough one. The barbecue one throws me off. Um. I mean, I feel like I've let you slide a lot here <laughs> by just saying tacos, because then it's like. Uh, can you get chicken tacos? Can you get pork tacos? Oh, no. Okay, then I will. I will go. I would. I would go with. Um, can I say pork tacos? Yeah. Okay. And then, can of course. That, can that encompass carnitas, adobada, and al pastor? Because if so, then I'm good. Same animal, right? Yeah, it's all the same animal, just different different Very... ways of, of preparation. I'm cool with that. Okay. Um, I think I'd have to go with buffalo wings. Ooh, that's yeah, God, underrated. I'm such, I'm such a dude, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, nacho cheese Doritos. Wow. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think any sensible person has to take pizza. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a pretty big fan of pork tacos as well, so I have no problem with that. Um, I would say steak for me. Is another another man yeah. food. Oh man, and then I don't know. I don't know. Four. Four's tough. I think I'm, I'm a big fan of eggs. I really love eggs. So I feel like I, I would need them in my life. Now, do you have to? Can you just pick eggs? Or could you have to say. Just I think using you your, just, your taco example here. Or do you have to specify how, your. How dare you? No, man. You can, you can transform an egg in many ways. That's the beauty of it. Okay. Just, just checking. This is your rules, man. Your game. Right, right. It's a very good question. But I, 
I feel like uh, now both of us will just think about it all week, and so next week on the podcast we'll probably come up with totally different answers. And I'm going to go around asking people. Like, I'm going to ask my wife yeah. what her <laughs> franchise four is of, of food. So next week will be the hour-long franchise four food draft, and then we'll just go from there. Man, if there was a food draft, though, like, how much would you want, number one, just so you could have you could have pizza? And even if you don't necessarily like pizza, just the trade value. The trade value on pizza would be high. Uh, I, I guess. I, I don't know, though. I can't, I can't say that having pizza would be, you know, X amount better than having steak or whatever. Yeah, but I feel like you could get. I, I don't. I would miss pizza. I, I feel like there's a good, there's a good value though because everybody, would, everybody's at least interested in pizza. Like, true. Like when the trade deadline comes, you're like, hey man, I got this pizza. You know, <laughs> they, they may not care about eggs, Chris. But everyone's like, oh. They probably pizza. don't. Pizza. It's like Bryce Harper, man. Dangle that out there. Everyone's like, ooh, I want me some of that. But not caring about eggs is a foolish move. It's one of Guy Fieri's biggest flaws. He doesn't eat eggs. I mean, what's he doing? You're going You're going to a, a dark place. <laughs> we, need to, <laughs> we need to wrap this up. We can. We cannot talk about... I got Guy Fieri in, though. Guy it's Fieri a, in the same, in the same podcast, podcast segment as, as we talk about uh, people dating Bryce Harper. Yes. Dark, dark place. All right. Well, thank you guys all for for listening this week and and uh, the continued support. Uh, we're very happy with the way the podcast is going. So thank you guys for for listening and and sharing and and go do the the reviews on iTunes. We, we'd be very happy. Chris will boil some eggs and send them to you or something. Rate and review us. <laughs> Rate and review. See you guys next week. This has been the Stew Pod. Later. Unknown big river. Unknown. Burn on big river